Angel this morning. It is good to be able to worship together. But we would like to remind you, you are the worship team. You are the choir this morning. So I would like to invite you to stand with us. And we are going to start. And if you are a tenor, you find those tenor notes. If you are an alto, you belt it out. Lead, you're singing with me. And we are going to start this morning by singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Are you ready, my friends? <laughs> Here you go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Father 
be announcing about, if you can believe it, placing poinsettias in the church for Christmas. Before you know it, it's just a few weeks before Advent begins, and uh, we'll be starting that campaign next week, so just keep, uh, just be ready for that. And also, uh, with uh, some of the restrictions being lifted now, some things changing a little, uh, we're going to start next week, don't start this week, next week we're going to start uh, by communicating with you how we can do some visiting inside. As the weather gets colder, it's harder to connect outside. But it's going to be a really nice day today, so keep it for outside today. But starting next week, we'll, we'll just talk you through how we can do that and uh, just be able to connect with each other, which I know is a big part of coming on Sunday, is being able to connect with each other. So uh, just keep that in mind. I also want to give a shout-out to our, our tech team back in the corner this morning. Uh, you know, we come in here on Sunday, and what you, you wouldn't know is that our whole system crashed today, and a lot of our components aren't working, and so they had to type out the words of every song in a PowerPoint, and, and they're just trying to make everything work for us today. So, guys, thank you for, uh, let's show them our appreciation. Yeah. Everybody at home's getting all the bougie stuff, but you, everybody in here, we're getting the workarounds. So uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Kids, JK to grade five, if you would just quietly, without using wheels, make your way around the <laughs> perimeter. Thank you. Awesome. Leaders, you can head out. Parents, at the end of the service, you can pick your children up over here. That's it for me. Going to hand it back to you and uh, to continue to lead us in worship this morning. God bless you. It's interesting when you um, think about our society as a whole, 
which whether we like to admit it or not, affects us greatly. As Even as followers of Jesus Christ, we are a part of a different kingdom. But the kingdom that we are in every day, all day, at work, in our neighborhoods, it does affect us. And it's interesting when you think about the word surrender. There's a real kind of visceral pushback to this idea of taking my hands off of it and surrendering myself so completely to somebody else to remake and remold me. And I, I feel like I struggle with that in my own life. If I take my hands off of this, will the one I've given permission to be good to me? Will he make me go through crushing and pressing? Will he be there if life crushes me and presses on me? And that attitude of surrender is one that I think our human nature fights tooth and nail. Don't fully give up your right. Don't fully give up your control. And yet Jesus calls us so sweetly and so carefully and so gently. If you give it up, you'll gain better. If you give up what you think is beautiful wine in the wineskin of your life, he actually makes it better because what we really have is vinegar. If you give over the soil of your heart, we might think it's soft soil, it's fertile soil, and he's looking at it and saying, I've got something better. We may think there's a flame of hope and of life and of abundance in our hearts. And Jesus is looking at us and saying, you give me that old flame and I'm gonna give you a new one that's better. And it doesn't mean that there isn't crushing and pressing. In fact, all of that happens through the crushing and the pressing. We're gonna sing a hard song this morning, a song that part of me sings with abandon and part of me wrestles with. But it all boils down to we, do we believe that the hand of our master is a good hand? Can you trust his goodness? And I believe that the Holy Spirit would call us today and say, you can trust his hand. It's careful. You can trust him. When you're being crushed and pressed, you have not been left alone. You are not abandoned. But he is making new in us. And so I challenge you, if you need to sit and let this song wash over you, do. I would invite you to stand and sing with us. And if you can sing at the top of your lungs with abandonment, do so. Stand with us now. If you have to just listen to the quiet wooing of the Holy Spirit while we sing, do that. But let us find a place of surrender this morning because his hand is good. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new. In the soil I 
now surrender You are breaking new ground in the crushing In the crushing In the pressing You are making new In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand.
places of peace and triumph in our successes. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us, that you would increase our faith, that the hand of our Father is good. And it is because we can trust him that we can sing it as well. No matter what we find ourselves in. And so with an attitude of choice, with an attitude of a declaration of our will, we declare that we surrender to the good and careful hand of a God who is faithful and loving and true till time ends. And as a church, as a body, as a family, and as a piece of the bride, we sing today it is well with our soul because of you amen and amen you may remain standing for the reading of the word our scripture reading this morning is found in numbers chapter 11 and we're going to read verses 10 to 15 Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell, tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Why, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give me meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, then do not let me face my own ruin. Amen. You may be seated. The summer of 2005 was a significant transitional season for our 
family. I was concluding my time at Master's College and Seminary, and I had been through a two-month interview process to become the new lead pastor here at EPC. The search committee, after a couple of months, had recommended me to the admin council, and the admin council presented me to the congregation so they could vote on whether I would become their new pastor. It was a weeknight, and the congregation had gathered, some of you were in that room, to meet their potential new pastor. I was introduced. My family was introduced. I preached a sermon. I still remember what it was. And I answered questions from members of the congregation. And then Jennifer and I moved to the boardroom in the office to await the outcome of the vote. Shortly after, we were informed that I'd been elected to be the next lead pastor at EPC. And we ate food and chocolate-covered strawberries. And we all lived happily ever after. It was all unicorns and rainbows to start. But it wasn't long before... I started to disappoint some people, which is not surprising because if you know me, you know that I am uniquely gifted in my ability to disappoint people. So it didn't take very long. And I remember the day that a member of the search committee, someone who had been through the two-month process, who had recommended me to the admin council, came to see me in my office and while well, they were disappointed. Specifically, they were disappointed in me, in my leadership, and as a result, they were leaving the church. Now, I'm certain that they were disappointed because of what they said. They said, what I thought we were getting when we hired you and what we got were two very different things. So that sounds like disappointment to me. They had expectations, and their expectations were not met and they were disappointed. And not only were they disappointed, but they allowed their personal disappointment to become a priority focus in their life, and it negatively affected them and their family to the point that they were leaving their church family. It negatively affected me and my family as we processed the rejection of their leaving and the sense of failure that already we were disappointing people. It negatively affected the church family as well because since there were people who were close to them, they decided, well, if they're leaving, then I guess we may as, go, may as well go as well. Disappointment, when not handled properly, can have a very significant impact. Now, last week, we launched a new sermon series entitled, In the Meantime, navigating difficult transitions. And we said that there are realities, there are attitudes, there are emotions that we experience during life's difficult transitions that can delay us, even keep us from experiencing what God wants to accomplish. And we're referring to these things as pitfalls. And so it is critically important that we identify these pitfalls so we can successfully navigate our way through them without missing out on what God intends for us. Now, we're using 
the transition of the Israelites from Egypt to the promised land as a case study to identify these pitfalls. Last week, we considered the pitfall of complaining, specifically the relationship between complaining and trust in God. Today, we're going to be considering the pitfall of disappointment. And we'll be reminded today, if we could jump two slides ahead, I don't think the little receiver for my thing is, is in the top, so you, you may have to take on even more responsibility today. We're going to be reminded today that disappointment creates significant stress and anxiety on those who are disappointed as well as those, as those who bear the brunt of their disappointment. Moses' response to the disappointment of the Israelites provides us insight into the impact that the pitfall of disappointment can have on those around us. So let's begin. The first thing we want to consider today is discouragement. Discouragement. Last week, we considered the first part of the chapter. In fact, we're going to be in Numbers 11 again today, as, as you know, and we're also going to be there next week as well. And we saw that the Israelites were demanding. They had needs. They had wants. They had cravings. That they, had, they wanted God to provide for them, to give them what they wanted. And so God delayed his response in order to teach them the importance of learning to trust him, to rely on him, to show them that they couldn't make it on their own, in their own strength. The people were disappointed with God and expressed their disappointment by complaining. Moses bore the brunt of their complaining. You see, he was their visible leader. He was the one on site that they could see. He was God's spokesperson. He was accessible to them. He was the mediator between them and God on everyday occurrences. And so it only made sense that he would become the object of their complaining. Their disappointment spread like a virus. I don't know if we can relate to that kind of analogy, but it spread like a virus through the camp, and it reached the point that people from every family began weeping at the entrance of their tents, crying out throughout the camp. All through the camp, all you could hear was the crying, the weeping, and when you look at the, the original text here, it's like when you're mourning and grieving a loss and tears are flowing, that's what's happening at all of their tents. Their disappointment was unrestrained and it garnered momentum and it was engulfing the whole community. Now, our scripture today gives us insight and into how this complaining and disappointment affected Moses. In verse 10, it tells us that Moses was troubled. Now, the English word troubled really doesn't do this justice because in the Hebrew language, troubled means to break into pieces. Moses was experiencing a breakdown. He was falling apart. He was overwhelmed with the weight of leading these ungrateful people. Moses was on the brink of emotional collapse he was at the breaking point, and he was discouraged. Secondly, despair. In hearing the demands of the people, Moses realized that he was unable to meet their demands. They had a problem that he couldn't fix. They had needs 
that he couldn't meet. He felt inadequate. He felt hopeless. And the truth was, well, if you remember, he never wanted this job. He didn't want this job. And he tried to tell God. He tried to convince God that day at the burning bush, yeah, you know what? Thanks, <laughs> but no thanks. I, I'm, I, I'm really not the kind of person that could do this job for you. And, and so he tried to tell God, like, I'm not qualified for this, this job. But God said, no, no, I, you're, you're the one. And he insisted that Moses do it. Now, despite not wanting the job, Despite feeling unqualified for the job, well, he took the job, and he was obedient to God, and he was faithful, and he gave his best, but his best was not good enough for the people he was leading. Now, there's some debate whether the verses that follow this point are a rant or a prayer. I would suggest it's a prayer rant, <laughs> It's a prayer rant. It's, it's, it's both. It's important to note that the Israelites complained about God, but Moses complained to God in the form of a prayer rant, and these are two very different things. Moses made some very real statements in his prayer rant. He said, God... You're too hard on me. I don't deserve this, God. Did I do something wrong? I don't understand. I did what you asked, even though I warned you I wasn't qualified. Why is this happening to me? And then he says, well, you know what? Actually, God, this is not my fault at all. It's your fault because you put this burden on me. And by the way, how is this my problem? Did I conceive them? Did I give birth to them? Why do I need to carry them like children in my arms to fulfill a promise that you made to somebody else? Their ancestors. How is this my problem? And by the way, I don't have what it takes to do this. They are demanding things of me that I can't give them. I can't give them what they want. The burden of this, God, is too heavy for me. And then he gets really real, like many that we'll find in Scripture, like Elijah and Jeremiah and so many others. I would rather die than have to carry this like this is by myself. So God, help me. The Israelites were disappointed with God because he failed to meet the needs and the timing they demanded. Their disappointment was expressed through complaining and weeping. Their selfish complaining and weeping caused their leader to reach the breaking point because disappointment creates significant stress and anxiety on those who are disappointed as well as on those who bear the brunt of disappointment. There are two observations in terms of application that I would like to draw from our scripture today regarding the pitfall of disappointment. The first is this. Leaders disappoint people. Leaders disappoint people. In fact, I could probably add to that and say leaders 
disappoint people intentionally. First of all, I believe it's important to understand that while all of us may not hold official positions of leadership, all of us are leaders to some degree. Some are leaders at work. Some are leaders at home. Some are leaders at school. Some are leaders at church. Some are leaders in the community as a whole. In some form or another, we are leaders because one of the most simple definitions of leadership is that leadership is the ability to influence another person. And if that is, if that is leadership, then all of us are leaders to some degree. If we find ourselves in any environment where we are influencing other people, then, well, we're leaders. Now, it has been my experience that some who do not hold a position of leadership are actually some of the most influential leaders. And so since we are all leaders, it's important to understand that leaders disappoint people. You, as a leader, will disappoint people. And the question is not if you will disappoint others. The question is to what extent will you disappoint them and with what consequences. People become disappointed when they don't get what they want. They become disappointed when something changes that they didn't want to change. People get disappointed when there are expectations on them for them to move and challenge them out of their comfort zone. And so if a leader is content to leave a person where they are, to not expect anything from them, to not expect them to change, to not desire them to see you know, them experience anything more than they've already experienced, just, just leave people undisturbed, if that's your approach to leadership, then you won't disappoint anyone. Because if you're not asking for anything, there won't be any problem. But if a leader has expectations and desires to see a person grow and move forward and challenges a person to change what needs to change, then most likely as a leader, you will disappoint people. Any of you who are parents understand that. You're raising children. You're leading your home. You're leading your family. And you're asking things of your children. Why? Because you are invested in their full potential. You want the best for them. You want them to grow. You want them to eventually move out of your house. If you don't, there's something wrong with you people. You want them out of your home. You know, you're striving for that day where they're independent and strong and able to, to serve God and, 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 and live life to the full. But that doesn't come easy. And it, there's requirements we put. And our kids become disappointed. I mean, what parent of a teenager has never heard the words, I hate you? If you haven't, God bless you. I can lend you some of mine. It doesn't matter if it's at work. You're trying to create a work environment to, to have everybody around you rise and meet their potential and, and rise to a new level and accomplish things. And some people, they just want to be left alone. Church, no different. Why can't we just leave everything the way it's always been and just keep repeating over and over and over? Why do we have to change stuff? Why do we have to be challenged to stuff? Why do I have to deal with the difficult stuff in my life? Why do I have to become, you know, a, you know? To not inspire disappointment 
is a failure to lead. To not inspire disappointment is a failure to lead. Now, on the other hand, sometimes we can push too hard and expect too much. And when we do, those we are trying to lead push back and perhaps even pull away from us because we're disappointing them too much. According to experts in leadership, and I'm certainly not one of them, the key is this, to disappoint people at a rate that they can absorb. To disappoint people at the rate that they can absorb. And so as a leader, I have been guilty of, as a leader, of disappointing too little because I haven't pushed hard enough. And also, more often, of disappointing too much because, well, I pushed too hard. Having sometimes people walk away because they don't want to be a part of having to change and doing the hard work and the adjustments. The point, though, is this. Disappointment is critically important to being a leader. Disappointment can be positive. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's at school or at church or in the community, disappointment is important and it can be positive. The key is learning to challenge people to their full potential, to lead and influence people to their full potential without pushing them away. My point here is this. Disappointment doesn't have to be negative. Disappointment doesn't have to be negative. Disappointment can be very, very positive. Secondly, selective ranting. Disappointment doesn't have to be negative, but most often disappointment is allowed to balloon to the point that it becomes toxic for us and for those around us. Disappointment left uncontrolled can make us, make us bitter and angry, judgmental, ungrateful, and sadly even unkind. Disappointment left uncontrolled can destroy our relationships. It can destroy our relationship with God. It can destroy our relationship with our spouse. It can destroy our relationship with our children and our, our co-workers and the fellow students at school and, the, and our pastors and leaders in, in the church. Disappointment left uncontrolled hurts others. So it's critically important that we learn to deal with our disappointment in a healthy, godly way. May I suggest this morning that we learn a valuable lesson from our scripture today. That there's a difference between complaining about and complaining to. Many years ago, I was being interviewed for a ministry position. And I was asked how I personally handled disappointment. I responded with a joke. In hindsight, I'm very disappointed in myself that I did that. And my response was, oh, I, I just throw a pity party. And the follow-up question was, and who do you invite to your pity parties? Ouch. And I said, well, mostly just my wife. Most often, we will invite anyone who is willing to attend our pity parties. 
our complaining. And let me tell you what a lifetime in the church has taught me. There are lots of godly people who love attending pity parties and feeding our negative disappointment. See, the truth is, most often we default to complaining about our circumstances, complaining about our spouse, complaining about our children and our friends and our coworkers and our pastors, our culture. I've even heard some people complain about our government in recent days. We complain about all kinds of things. And we're, we're, if we're not careful, we're, we're feeding the negativity in our lives and causing harm not only to ourselves, but to others. I believe the better option is to complain to God. Do a prayer rant. Say exactly what you're thinking. Be brutally honest with God. Let him know how you feel. Let him know what you think. Let him know how disappointed you are, how let down you feel. He can handle it. He can handle it. He's okay with it because he would rather have us complain to him than about him or about others or about circumstances to other people. That's his preferred approach. If you're going to rant and complain, bring it to me. Bring it to me. Now, ironically, some people feel that it would be disrespectful, even sacrilegious, to tell God exactly how we feel. I mean, how can you say those things to God? Well, I would suggest that it's much more disrespectful and sacrilegious to God when we complain about our disappointments to others rather than bringing it to him. If you're concerned about, you know, being sacrilegious and, and disrespectful to God, then bring it to him, not to others, because that's what he wants you to do. Ranting is fine as long as it's directed to God. Prayer rant is good therapy, and it won't even cost you 200 bucks an hour. It's great therapy. And so if you need to complain, if you need to rant, if you need to express your deep, deep disappointment, don't project it on others and cause them pain and cause it to become toxic and negative. Bring it to God where it belongs and let him heal your heart and help you focus and deal with the disappointment in your life. I'm going to invite our worship team back. The Israelites were disappointed with God because he failed to meet their needs in the timing they demanded. Their disappointment was expressed through complaining and weeping. Their selfish complaining and weeping caused their leader to reach the breaking point. Why? Because disappointment creates significant stress and anxiety on those who are disappointed but as well as those who bear the brunt of our disappointment. Disappointment is a pitfall we need to learn to navigate. Use it for the positive, not for the negative. Would you stand with me? Carlene's going to lead us in a song before we close in prayer this morning. He is here if 
Stay. 